Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Planet Podcast. We've got one of my really good friends here named Chris Hamby. Um, this guy actually started serving with me like a f- three or four years ago back at Two Rivers Church. And um, to see where he's come from to where he's now going to, he's going to be planting a church in Cortland, New York, right actually behind my uh, my my mother and father-in-law's house. And uh, it's going to be so great to see what he's doing. But I just want to take you guys on the journey of anybody can become a, a church planter. And you know what? The people that we see right now in two or three years could be going out and planting churches. So we need to be able to identify people that have potential and believe and see what God sees in them, not the way that we see them. So come on, guys, let's dig in. Let's hear Chris's story and let's get planted. Here we go. You are now listening to the Planted Podcast. Raw stories from church planners, leaders, and entrepreneurs with your host, me, Brenton Johnson. Brenton Johnson. Do you have a dream in your heart and want to go all in? Hear stories from leaders just like you. It's our prayer that these stories will encourage and inspire you to make that dream in your heart come true. Get ready and get planted. What's up, bro? How you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Welcome to the Planet Podcast. (laughs) What are you doing? I'm up here at the office uh, starting to form a budget and timelines operation for uh, Two Rivers, Cortland. That's what I'm talking about. So I just want to get your story on here. Chris, you have an amazing story that people need to hear. And I think that if Chris can do it and if I can do it, anybody can do it because we're just a bunch of weirdos just trying to figure this thing out. And we love Jesus. So That's right. uh, Chris, <laughs> bro, where are you from? What is going on? Uh, Well, I'm from Jesseville, Arkansas originally. Heck yeah. um, I mean, I was, I was born in Norfolk, but I got moved to Arkansas uh, when I was very young. I uh, lived there for about 15 years, uh, went through some struggles and came up to New York uh, seeking something else that I didn't have in life. Um, I wasn't saved in Arkansas. I had gone to church. I had gone to Awana. I'd done all the stuff that you would, you know, think. <laughs> Awanas. That <laughs> yeah. you would think a believer would do. And yeah. uh, I just never felt anything from church. I never, I don't know, I kind of just went through the motions. So, um, is there... So let's, I want to get the deep, the dirty, the nasty, the ups and the downs. So where did you come from? What is your, what's your story? So you said you went through some stuff. Let's dive into that. So what, what was, uh, so you throughout the high school years, what was high school like for you, man? Well, high school, uh, it was a bit awkward. I was short and I was a band geek (laughs) and I was a punk rocker. So none of those things are very (laughs) highly regarded. Yeah, by most high schoolers. Um, so I got picked on a lot um, for for being a little dude. Uh, I got picked on because I had black hair. You know, I dyed my hair and <laughs> I had like this the swoop and like all sorts of different weird haircuts awesome. and stuff. Like Haw- Hawthorne Heights. It's like cut my wrist and bless my <laughs> eyes so I can't fall asleep tonight. You die. Yes. 
seriously though oh my <laughs> the gosh Fortnite, like the like big like it was like almost like the beatles cut but like super emo <laughs> i was and, there bro i had the i had the could i speak to the manager haircut before it was the the i can speak to the manager haircut man that's all it was it was rough uh and of course like i mean i was first chair trumpet so i was like cool in a very small group (laughs) 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 the band people like like you're the best fry cook when you're working at mcdonald's (laughs) yeah but it's like (laughs) it's like some of them in the band were like they were just in band because it was a thing to do and then they would be in like another club and you'd be going to that so i would go to that club with them and then they would treat me like everybody else would treat me because we're not in the band room or we're not we're not doing something band related. Like if it was band, I was oh yeah, you're cool. Like uh, you're great at stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And um, so I found people who would hang out with me and who would accept me for being different and weird and. Uh, kind of abrasive uh, towards everybody else. And that was like a bunch of skateboarders. And we were a bunch of punks together. Um, you know. Yeah. What was your favorite? What was your favorite skateboard company? What was like your, your go-to? What was the one that you always drew on all your folders? Oh man. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't know. Like way back in the day, I mean, my first board was a blind. Oh man. That's they the always had the Grim Reaper. That's the devil's uh, one, dude. You, that's the yeah, devil. dude. Blind was nasty. Yeah. Um, although I always kind of liked Baker boards. Baker's dope. Like, I used yeah, to, when I started, I always like, wanted Element boards. Real. I always skated Element. I was like a big Bam Margera fan. Like, oh yeah, dude. Yeah. I had the freaking uh, the Bam like uh, Vans. Or, I think they were Vans or Etnies. The, they were like the cool audios, ones. bro. Oh, audio, dude. Duh. Dude, the audio audios, band. dog. The pink, audio the pink in the. They're the pink and the black ones. Yeah, That's I had everybody purple. wanted. My mom used to like make fun yeah. of me because I wanted them with the fat tongue. Oh, oh yeah, boy, dude, I got I got a pair of those purple audios, and then um, I ended up getting an element board with it that yes. had like the bandera bats like flying out of the case. Yes, I know exactly the one. Dude, that was on Tony Hawk. That that board was on Tony Hawk too. Uh, I yeah, think I got it. <laughs> <laughs> Pro skater, bro. Those are the days. Yeah, man. That was, that was my stuff. Like I was like, I spent all my free time going and like skating up the streets, like trying to ollie huge sets of stairs and trying to grind rails and, and just do ridiculous stuff. And I got hurt a lot, but I got pretty good at one point. <laughs> yeah. That's so awesome. That's so good. So, um, yeah. going, I know we did your, we did a testimony a while back and uh, yeah. there was a, there was a bunch of good content in there. So, uh, I'm not sure which which came first. So was it your mother or your grandmother? Which or was it both? That there was a pretty significant role in your life. Well, I mean, my mother didn't ever have anything to do with me from the time I was 18 months old. Really, um, can you when walk, I was you walk in, when I was an infant, bit? and I don't remember yeah. most of it. Um, but. Like from what my parents had always told me. Um, so my mom kidnapped my brother and I. Uh, my brother was 18 months older than me, so he was three and he kind of remembered it a little bit. 
Um, I was still just a baby. And she ran off with my dad's car and depleted his bank account, took all his money and just like took off to go do whatever. I'm, I don't even know what she had in mind or she just wanted to escape. Yeah. Um, and my, my father was in the Navy stationed in Norfolk, Virginia, where I was born. And, uh, he got back from like his tour around the world or wherever he was and found an empty house, no car, no children. And he had to, uh, first get a clear head, uh, on the situation because I couldn't imagine dealing with that myself or walking into that situation myself and yeah. really being able to think much. Uh, but he talked to my grandparents up that lived up here in New York at the time. And, um, through them, he was able to hire a private investigator because he had no money. She, she took all of it. Yeah. And, uh, he somehow tracked us down. Uh, I think our mother took us through about six or seven States, like stated in like one time we Michigan and then the next thing we know we were down in Missouri and then we were over in Florida and then we were up in like Tennessee and eventually we wound up roundabout in Wisconsin. Yeah. And that's where the private investigator found my dad because they, I think they tracked his license plate through, you know, like traffic lights or something that they, however they could do it. Um, yeah. And he found us and my mother basically just like said, you know, like you have to take them both if you want Chris back. And so Seth, my brother is not my father's biological son. Really? I, I didn't know that. Though they do share the same name, Seth Hamby. Um, his father was actually killed in a motorcycle accident after he was conceived. Wow. And, father got with our mother and before he was born that's wild and so she just she took it upon herself to put that he was the father on the birth certificate and he was also more than willing to take that role yeah in Seth's life and uh so when she she made the offer to get me back she said you have to take both the boys because I'm pretty sure she just didn't want any responsibilities in life. Yeah. And so he did. And we're very fortunate for that because my dad's a pretty good guy, but he has a huge heart and he loves us and he's always cared for us equally as best as possible. Yeah. And we didn't really get along when we were younger. Um, we sort of knew the situation a little bit. Uh, a lot of information was hidden from us when we were very young, but we fought a lot. And so when I was like six or seven, I think I was six, uh, they sent me, my grandparents had moved down to Arkansas um, to like retire. And they found a community down there that was like gated and, you know, full of old people. So it was cool for them. Yeah. And so Seth and I kept fighting and kept fighting. So they were like, we got to separate them. 
And I really wanted to go to my grandma's house in Shenango Forks, but that wasn't necessarily going to get us away from each other mm-hmm. um, because it was just right across town. And so they sent me down to Arkansas because I being my father's son was my grandfather's actual grandkid. And he's kind of of the older frame of mind where if he was going to take one of us, it was going to be his blood. Yeah. So it was me. And I was always told that there was opportunity down there. And like looking back, it was a decent community. Um, but it was like the middle of nowhere, Arkansas. Yeah. And I, I've never seen what opportunities there possibly could have been that there <laughs> weren't here for me. Yeah. In New York. And I just, I never, I'm like, New York has a better education system. New York has a huge city with just a billions of opportunities. Like you can do so much living in New York. It's cold and sucky sometimes, yeah. but it's Arkansas. Like what, why did they send me to Arkansas? Yeah. Where it's like warm and full of old people. Yeah. So I lived my life for a while. Flash forward to me, me being a teenager and getting picked on. Um, my grandmother, had become the rock in my life. Like she was my mom mm-hmm. uh, because I didn't know my mom. She, she gave us up and that was it. And I never talked to her. Yeah. Um, so my grandmother basically, she was my go-to. She was a person I asked for everything. I didn't ask grandpa. He was kind of stern and <laughs> he's a very stoic guy. He's very just, staring off into the distance thinking and he's very strict about what he lets me do and watch. So I'd go to grandma and kind of undermine him a little bit. (laughs) She always let me get away with a little bit more than what he would. But, um, for most of my life, it wasn't anything major. Um, until I started hanging out with those skaters and, um, started getting introduced to alcohol and, and pot and other drugs. Yeah. And, um, and I started to lie to my grandmother for the reasons I was leaving the house rather than going to skateboard. I was really going to get high or drunk or instead of going to my friend's house to just spend the night and play video games, I would go and spend the night, but, I didn't give a crap about the video games. <laughs> um, we played a lot of video games, but yeah. that's not the reason I went there. Yeah. And then, uh, after a couple of years of getting away with it, um, I was arrested about a week after I turned 16, um, at a gas station at two in the morning, just smoking pot with my friends. Like we just kind of pulled over. It was a closed gas station. The lights were all off. It was kind of on the outskirts of town. We were skating in town earlier that night and we had to take a friend home and that was kind of on the way. So we went out there and we got high and I had some beer in my back seat. And all of a sudden here comes two or three County sheriff's cars 
rolling up to the gas station That's and we were just like, yeah, you, you can't go anywhere. Like we, we thought about like, Oh, do? let's run away. No, no that's not nothing. They, they surrounded us very quickly. And uh, yeah, we all got questioned and I told them exactly why we were there. You know, I was, I was honest about it. I, we got caught. Yeah. There's no point in lying to these people that, are just doing their jobs. So we all got taken back to the sheriff's department and they let me go. They called my grandparents, had them come pick me up and then go pick up the car. Yeah. And I remember just seeing the look of disappointment on my grandmother's face. Um, she actually wouldn't let me ride back with her that night. Um, I had to ride back in the van with my grandpa while my grandma picked up the car that I had taken out of the house that night mm. and drive that back because I was the driver. I was the kid with the car, the kid whose parents had two cars and could sneak out mm-hmm. with one of them. And it all changed from that point, I guess a bit for the worse. They were a little more strict. Uh, they would like pretend to be asleep and come into my room later at night. I'd still be awake, of course, but they just wanted to make sure I was still in my room. Yeah. And then let's see, that was a week after I turned 16. It wasn't too long after that, that my grandmother found out she had cancer. Yeah. And that just made me mad because I, I mean, you, you know what cancer does to people. Like you just, you know, mm-hmm. you know what the possibilities are and you know that you can try to treat it. Yeah. But it was in its early stages it was ovarian. So they did the chemotherapy and they did the, um, hysterectomy and it looked like, you know, things were going to turn up for the better Mm -hmm. and it was gone. Uh, she went into remission, uh, around the beginning of my senior year. Um, I actually, so that summer before my senior year, uh, that spring and summer, um, I had just kind of flown off the handle and I was very angry and I was yelling at them all the time. So they actually sent me up to New York to live with my dad in like April of that year of like 2005 of my junior year of high school. And I lived there for up here for about four months and I didn't like it. I, I missed my friends. Um, I wanted to go back and for whatever reason, they let me come back even through like what I had done and all the stress of my grandmother having cancer and going through all these treatments. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they wanted me to be able to finish high school with my friends and with the people I knew. Yeah. Um, I told them I'd change and, for a while I did just for a little bit, probably the first semester I was a lot better my senior year. And, uh, after Christmas break and we get back at 
like winter, early winter, 2006, you know, like January, February. Uh, no, it was probably in February, I would say, because it happened all pretty quick. Um, my grandma found out that cancer was back. It moved up to her stomach. And I just lost my mind. I, I remember taking care of her. She just got so weak so fast that she would be on the floor like we had to get her like diapers and like she couldn't even get out of bed and she would like fall out of bed trying to just like roll over or sit up for a, a moment and I just remember like the amount of sadness and conviction that like hit me like I felt like it was my fault for being a bad kid that my grandmother was going to suffer through what she did mm. I blamed myself it was like why am I such an awful person and my grandmother is like dying in front of me yeah I remember sitting in Spanish class March 10th, 2006. Um, our school secretary calls over the intercom. Calmest I've ever heard my name called over an intercom, honestly. I was a troublemaker and I was in the principal's office all the time. So mm -hmm. when the school secretary calls and goes, can Chris Hamby please come down to the office? Like, I just kind of like hit the ground. Like, I ran out of the classroom, like already crying. And then I'm pretty sure I punched a locker <laughs> because one of my like oldest friends came out of the class and just like asked me if I was all right. And I just, I remember telling her, I was like, she's dead. I know it. Nobody would, the timing and just what I had seen in my grandmother. There's, there's no other explanation for why I'm being called into the office right now. I, I would have known if I had done something and been called into the office and I was like, I haven't done anything bad in like a week. <laughs> yeah. Because I've been at home taking care of my sick grandmother. Yeah. So what happened? What happened after that? Um, what was life like after um, she passed away for you? After that, I was really, really depressed. Yeah. What did that manifest into? I, I it manifested into me going right back into drugs and alcohol harder than I ever had before. Um, it was a coping mechanism that enabled me to forget for as long as I could make it help me forget. And I had, a, I had acquired a full scholarship to Arkansas State University for music education. 
I tried out and seated ninth chair out of 21 trumpets, um, beating every freshman and most of the sophomores in the tryouts. And I went to school for half a semester and partied my way out. I was hanging out at frat houses. I was sneaking into the girls' dorms, staying the night with them. Yeah. Hiding in the closet when the hall monitors came in. You know, anything. (laughs) Yeah. I was not, I was not doing well. I just, I kind of flew off the handle. And when I quit college, I didn't even tell my grandpa or anybody. I came back and I crashed on a few friends' couches. I slept in my car for like six months. Um, and it was awful. So I dated this girl for like four years. Um, after I got back from college and yeah. up until not too far before I actually moved up to New York. But and, you know, it was good for a while, but I was such a broken individual that I didn't realize how much of an effect it would have on her. Yeah. And the way that I treated her wasn't really the way anyone should be treated. And, you know, I, I, I looked back for so long on this after we broke up, I broke up with her on her four year anniversary because she cheated on me. I thought I was going to be the one to like punish her, Yeah, you know, by like breaking her heart on an anniversary. Um, and it was just, it was just a terrible relationship. Neither of us were good for each other. Um, I think most of the time I was pretty bad. Uh, I didn't treat her like I cared. I didn't love her like I should have. Yeah. And so like she would scream at me and throw stuff at me and being older now, it kind of makes sense in the moment. I was like, I didn't even do anything to you. Like what's wrong with you? You're crazy. Like there was so much of that that could have been avoided with just a couple conversations throughout the relationship. And so we didn't work out. (laughs) And then I, I kind of ran around with a few girls after that for the next like year or so I was in and out of bars. I was picking girls up, not wanting to have a girlfriend or a relationship. I had one flame with an old flame from high school that moved to Iowa during high school and we had to break up and then came back like a week after I dumped this girl. And I was like, okay, I'm going to date her like immediately after this awful four year relationship. And it lasted about six months and she wasn't the same person. I was far from the same person that she knew. And it was awful. And uh, she was like really jealous. And I had a lot of female friends. I wasn't doing anything with these girls, but she didn't like that I hung out with them. And I didn't care that she liked it or didn't like it. Mm 
So I would hang out with them. And I remember one time I was wasted. I drank a whole bunch of Patron. And I was like hanging over the toilet and I called her like, I need a ride home. I'm not going to be able to drive home tonight. Come yeah. get me. So she grabbed my grandfather's van, came and got me. But before she came into the bathroom to check on me, as my face was just hung into a toilet, she checked my phone. <laughs> Good times. And, oh, yeah, she started screaming at me, asking me who this Jamie person was. And <laughs> it was weird because I didn't know a Jamie, um, but I did know a Jamin. <laughs> <laughs> so I was, like, really sarcastic about it. Like, I don't know a Jamie. Like, who are you talking about? And she's like, I saw it on your phone. And I, like, I grabbed my phone from her and threw it in my pocket. I was like, no, you didn't. Like, That's awesome. <laughs> She drove me home and yeah. we argued the whole ride home. And she's like, do you love me? Like, why are we even together if you're talking to other people? And I was like, I remember thinking, I was like, this is a person, this Jamin mm-hmm. is a person that I knew in middle school that moved away. And I was going to um, a community college in Arkansas at the time. I only went for a couple semesters and I was trying like different potential career paths out. So I'd change majors all the time or change my mind on what I wanted to do. And this girl was in a like psychology class with me. Yeah. This James girl. And I was like, Holy crap. I haven't seen you in like eight Dude, years. Are, What's up? Are crazy, bro. And like, I just wanted to befriend this person. Like there was never any, yeah about going out or anything i think she was at the time with somebody she had a kid and so this girl i was with got really up in arms about it and i remember riding home with her that night thinking like is this what the rest of my life is gonna be like if i stay with this girl like every time i even have a conversation with somebody is she gonna blow a gasket (laughs) and then like it's not not happening so she made it to my driveway (laughs) pulls up in the driveway and she just goes she like slams the brakes throws it in park and goes do you want to be with me or not and i just looked at her i was like no i want you gone in the morning (laughs) grab your stuff get in your car and go somewhere that's wild and that was it for me i uh i was like I am never talking to another girl ever. Yeah. So, so how'd you get plugged in? Uh, how'd you get plugged into church after that? Yeah. So uh, that was early spring, um, 2011, mm-hmm. and by the time August hit, I had done that whole summer full of bar flings and it wasn't working. So I moved up here Yeah, back up to New York. I called my dad. I was like, I need to be out of Arkansas. I can't drive around this town and see what I'm seeing every day that brings back all these memories Mm -hmm. of just my awful life. Yeah. So my father and his good graces, let me come up and stay with him rent free, get a job, 
Um, at one point I had two jobs and was working 80 hours a week. I just wanted to stay occupied. Yeah. Um, I didn't know what I was looking for, but I knew what I had done in the past wasn't that. Yeah. And before too long, I found myself once I got a little overloaded with the two jobs, I quit one of them for the one that made a little more money. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a wise choice because I would actually be able to sleep. But I ended up hanging out with the same kind of people yeah. that I got with in Arkansas. And I started getting into harder drugs um, like cocaine, heroin. And I knew that it was a really stupid thing to do. Like I, I remember every time I'd go to do it, I'm like, am I really about to go do some heroin right now? Like, yeah. Like I know what heroin does to people. Like I, like I want to have fun and I want to get high, but like, yeah. Is this going to be my thing? Yeah. I was like, I, I've already like, I lived here for like a year, year and a half at that point. And I was like, I've already seen a couple people die because of this drug Yeah, that I'm about to go snort. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't do it. Like something inside me was just like boiling up, like, and convicting me. And I had no idea what it was. I was like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. Why am I here? Why did I even come up here if I'm just going to do the same stuff? Yeah. And so I ended up telling my brother, like, look, man, I'm doing this drug with your girlfriend. And she's doing it. And we're hanging out with this other guy. And like, I just kind of blew up like my brother's whole life at the time. And like, cause his girlfriend was talking to another guy. We were all doing the drugs together. Yeah. Um, they had gotten to the point where they were shooting up the drug. I didn't, I never wanted to stick a needle in my own arm. Yeah. I was like, no, there's other ways to do it. It's better that way. And no, it really wasn't. Um, so I kind of just blew up my brother's world when I blew up my own. I, I had to stop. And that was the only way I knew how was to tell somebody the whole story. And unfortunately my brother took that. He was, he was the one, he was my confidant. He was, it was actually my friend yeah. for the first time in our lives. Yeah. Because even the whole time I lived in Arkansas and, and the early stages of me coming up here when I was in my early twenties, we didn't get along. We never really did. Yeah. Something had changed when I like actually moved up here. I, and I was working with him and we started to like get along. And so I was like, okay, this is what's happening. Like, I need you to know this and I need help. Yeah. And word got out to the family and my cousins, Jen and Steve Hazelton lived up in Castle Creek. Actually, they still live there. Um, they're moving soon, but anyway, 
I digress. Um, <laughs> they were going out to Union Center uh, Church um, up Nanticoke Road, mm-hmm. up 26, yeah. past Nanticoke. And they were like, they just called me up out of nowhere one day, and they were like, you should come to church with us. Yeah. I think it would be really good for you. And I was just like, Jen, I, I've tried going to church before. I went to church a little bit down south. It was dumb. Like, <laughs> people told me I was going to hell because I sinned. Yeah. Like, I get it. I'm the worst person ever. I'm not going to like it. And I just kind of, I was just like, no. And she's like, you haven't been to a church like this, though. And I was like, nah, everybody says that about their church. And I, I've heard that line before. But, you know, I'll come with you one Sunday and check it out. Yeah. And so there I am in church. Preachers preaching at me. And I just remember like two Sundays in a row. He was like talking directly to me or it felt that way. It felt as though I was the only person in the room and that that man was just preaching at me what I had been going through, what struggles and burdens I had been trying to carry by myself my whole life. And he used this, um, he used an example a visual aid where he had a backpack and you start out your life and it's empty mm-hmm. and you slowly go through life gathering burdens and the burdens were rocks. And so he would put a rock in his backpack and then something else would happen. He put another rock in his backpack mm-hmm. and he's like, and now I'm carrying the weight of my own burdens of my own problems on my own shoulders. And eventually I won't be able to move. I won't ever be able to progress because I'm overburdened. I'm over encumbered with my own crap. And he took the backpack. He walked up to a wooden cross that he had on the stage and he dropped it on the ground. And he said, this is what happens when you give your life to Jesus. Your burdens become his. Your sorrow becomes his. Your life becomes his. Mm-hmm. And I started shaking. Goosebumps <laughs> all over my body. Yeah. And I didn't actually know what it was at the time. Like you'd hear things about the Holy Spirit. But like, I had no idea what was happening to me. I was like, this is crazy. Why am I feeling this way? I'm crying. I never cry. I'm a man. This is bull. (laughs) Um, My cousin looked straight over at me and he's just like, he's like, dude, this is it. This is the Holy Spirit coming into your body right (laughs) now, bro. He's like, you better recognize it. And I just like, okay. And I just like, I went and I prayed and I accepted Jesus. And... I got baptized soon after this like block party that they threw and then I started doing drugs again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had this holy encounter 
It's crazy though, right? People expect it, everything to change. And I thought, that's it. Yeah. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. And or it's like this magic thing that just happens. I knew I needed to go back to church, yep. but I couldn't afford it because I had lost uh, the job that I had. Um, business had closed down and I just couldn't afford the gap. Mm-hmm. So my friend or drive, my friend and I were driving around being stupid and he's just like, it was, it was like early a Sunday morning one time, like just driving around Binghamton, like smoking weed in my car, just kind of up on the mountains, looking through the valleys, enjoying the sights and the views. That's all we really had to do at that time. Yeah. And he's like, yo man, you want to go to church right now? And I was like, church, like what do you want to go to church for? And he's like, there's this really cool church that's been around for you know almost a year and they're meeting in a movie theater dude like <laughs> you want to go hang out in some comfy chairs and like like just chill and i was like yeah we got nothing to do right now like all our <laughs> friends are still sleeping uh no, but nobody i knew got up until like noon or 1 p.m so yeah. why not let's go to church all right cool so we go down to regal cinemas and then we walk in the doors of two rivers church what was that like um, at first I was like, this is going to suck. Like I'm high. These people are going to look at me funny. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't have any visine. So I was worried cause my eyes were red. Yeah. <laughs> like all, all the things that like you could think about, like all of the, like, Oh no, no, I shouldn't do this. Like everything that could possibly go through my mind telling me not to go into these doors yeah. did but we just walked in the doors anyway. I was like, whatever. Like they can't turn me away. This is church. That would be terrible. Like <laughs> Christians don't do that. <laughs> so I was like, I'm walking in anyway, screw it. And I, I go right up through the doors. And I think the first person that greeted me was Sherry Manwaring. <laughs> so explain who Sherry Manwaring is. And so she is, um, one of our church elders and, uh, I know for a while she led the host team, um, but she's just a great person. Like the Manwaring family is some, they're, they're just some of the nicest people I've ever met. Yeah. Um, so what went through your head, bro? When you, when you saw and when you were walking this, through the door? Yeah. So I'm like, I'm like, this isn't going to go well. There's this like, (laughs) I'm high. (laughs) I'm high. There's this super nice looking lady. Like she's just this sweet, like grandma looking lady. She's going to just like, I, I, I I pictured every look that she could have given me except for the smile and handshake that she did give me. Yeah. And she's just like, hi, good morning. Welcome to two rivers shook my hand, smiled at me and pointed me to the coffee booth. And she's like, there's coffee right over there if you want some. And I was like, that's different. Yeah. <laughs> I I didn't expect that. I didn't expect that sort of reaction. <laughs> um, so I was like, okay. I was like, dude, that was cool. That wasn't so bad. He's like, yeah, man. I mean, it, 
it sounded pretty chill when I heard about it. So we went and we got coffee and we went in and we sat down and I go and I'm like, all right, this isn't a movie theater. And I remember thinking it was like the coolest experience I'd ever had. Yeah. Like the band was playing like kind of rock music. Like they had a bass guitar, a guitar, like drums up there. Like they were rocking. And I was like, this isn't some like acoustic guitar and a keyboard set. <laughs> it was really cool. It was loud. There yeah. was light. And then the preacher got up and was like, so chill. Yeah. He just, he talked like I would talk. He wasn't like, thou art a sinner. Yeah. <laughs> and like, he wasn't using churchy words. Yep. So I was like, this is really cool. And I just, I started coming every week. I was like, I'm not going to stop coming to this place. This is the coolest place ever. And eventually i made a few friends and one of them was this lady that worked at the gas station um about 300 feet from my father's house shout out to wendy wendy halich yeah. yeah and she lived right up the road from me so like dude she would always give us free pizzas i don't know if i'm supposed to say that but she, no she hooked it up. <laughs> she would Gave always hook it up with like the most like the best toppings <laughs> ever <laughs> free pizza she's like i'm gonna make you guys a pizza just come get it and she's like get it she's like get you a like extra large coffee too while you're at it man go ahead that's awesome like she was just super nice and uh we went out to lunch one day she's like let's go to uh what is it china star buffet yeah. there on old vessel road face star yeah buffet star that's it Yo. buffet star she's like let's go to buffet star um Let's just have some lunch. And I was like, okay, sure. Like free lunch. Like she was paying. Yeah. I was like, okay, I can't turn that down. <laughs> of food. Yeah. And so I go and we're sitting there eating and you know, we get about two plates in and she's like, um, so gotta be real with you. There's some people from two rivers church here in the back room that I kind of want you to meet. And I was like, gotcha. I was like, yeah, like who? Like, uh, sure. Like, whatever. Let's go meet people. Like I go to that church. Mm -hmm. I've been going for a while. And she's like, well, it's, you know, the pastor and, and some of the leaders and stuff are there. So I go into the back and, uh, she walks right up to this punk looking kid named Brenton Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, Hey, Breton, this is Chris, the guy that's going to play bass for you. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember just looking at her like, what do you mean I'm going to play bass for him? I was like, I, you guys have never heard me play a note before. You know, I have a bass, but like, I, I'm not that good. <laughs> <laughs> and I just remember you were like, practices Thursday at this person's house at whatever time it was show up heck yeah we'll, we'll get you in and i was just like i was like are you sure like i, I have never like i'm like tried out like <laughs> you don't even know if i can play a bass you're like not you just show up not even concerned about it yeah you didn't even care and uh 
over those first few months, you know, I was still messing up. I was still getting high, but I was kind of comfortable in this environment that was so accepting. Yeah. And after a while, I started to get really convicted um, because I'd flake out. I'd go to practice. I wouldn't go to church. I'd not show up at all for practice or church. Uh, some Sundays, um, I went through a really tough time and I just remember what always made me feel better was no matter what I was doing or no matter how bad I was screwing up, you would still text me or call me and be like, Hey, are you coming to practice this week? Like I didn't show up for like a month or two after a while <laughs> and you still invited me. Yeah. And the crazy thing is like one time I actually had an actual excuse and my car had broken down and sure I could have gotten a ride from somebody, but like you let me have my excuse. And I was like, my car broke down. I barely have a part-time job right now. Like I can't do it right now. I was like, I'm not like, I remember telling you, I was like, I was like, this guy's not even going to believe me. Like, I'm, I'm not lying. I swear. Like, like this happened yeah. and it went by for, you know, that, that like month or two. And, uh, my grandma had come up and she gave me the money to fix my car and got it operational again. And then I saw you somewhere out in public, like two days later, I don't even remember where it was, if it was at a store or a restaurant or something. And you came by and you just kind of patted me on the back and I looked over and I was like, Hey dude, what's up? And you're just like, you're coming to practice Thursday, right? <laughs> and like, it blew my mind. I was like, like, I started to cry. I'm like, dude, you don't even understand. Like I literally fixed my car two days ago. And like something was just like, Chris, you need to go to this practice, like go to practice, stop coming up with excuses. Yeah. And I went and it was great. And I cried and I told everybody why I hadn't been there. And for the first time in my life, I told people the truth about what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And I actually sought help. And, and I got it. I got it through the love of Jesus and through the love of a team of people that were dedicated yeah. to sharing the love of Jesus with everyone and anyone. Mm -hmm. And from there, like my heart kind of exploded, like, I feel I felt like the Grinch, like my heart had grown like ten sizes. <laughs> and, and that day, his heart grew three times the size. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's awesome. And I started to play bass every single week, and then I wanted to start leading worship and leading songs, and 
I, I just remember the first time you think, gave me I that. I don't think that's how it happened. I think it was more like, Chris, you're singing this. Deal with it. Yeah, you kind of. You <laughs> I was like, you're singing. You're like, dude, I don't do. want to. I was like, yeah, dude, you're going to lead. You're like, no. I was like, yeah, you're doing it. Go for it. Like, I, I kind of wanted to. <laughs> yeah. Like, inside, I was yeah. like, I could sing these songs, you know? And then, like, when you were just like, hey, so you're doing this song next week. Practice it, and we're going to do it in practice. You, you better know it. <laughs> I was like, oh no, he's like putting me on the spot. And I just remember like that was the beginning for me really of just this huge turnaround in this journey that I'm on now. Yeah. So let's like, let's talk about the uh your church planning process. So you went from being a punk kid, then you came up, moved up here. Start playing a worship team, um, and somebody believed in you, loved on you, and then all of a sudden your life started changing around for the better. Now you are planting a church with two yeah. members, the church that you walked into, high as a kite. Now you're planting a church with that church that you walked into. How wild is that? So you're going to be um, in Cortland, New York, um, planting. And so what has this journey been like for you? How, what have you learned? What kind of things have you been walking through and how has it been for you? And you've got married in that time too. So you met a girl at church, you got married and, um, you guys, uh, she had a kid. Now you have a kid now too. So you're in a whole new season of fatherhood and church planting. So let's, let's walk through that real quick. Yeah. So, uh, actually met her through the worship team and, uh, after a while, she was on the production team as well. She was running the switchers, and we would look at each other across the room. And you know, I I kept wondering if this girl was looking at me. So I went and I told Wendy Halick because <laughs> that was one person. I was like, yeah, I can trust this lady. And she told Kendra's sister that I liked her, and there was this whole situation that came together with Kendra approaching me one time at practice while I was having a terrible day. Yeah. And we hit it off, and I mean, let's see. We started dating just a little over two years ago. April twenty second was our like official like dating anniversary, and uh, within the year and a half, now we were married. Yeah, after starting dating, uh, we got married last August. Uh, August 12th, 2017. And I just remember it being this huge thing for her um, that she had a kid. Yeah. And I never thought I'd date somebody with a kid. Like, I always swore that off. But I knew that that this girl was the one. Mm -hmm. And I didn't care that she had a kid. And so I told her, I was like, look his dad's not around. He's in Texas. And I know that's tough not having a parent because I don't have a mother. Yeah. And I just remember telling her, I was like, you know, I'll be this kid's dad. Mm -hmm. If you let me. Yeah. I would love to. Cause I don't want to see somebody raised without both parents or at least that influence there. Like I'm not his father, yeah. but I will be bad to him. I will take care of him as though he's my own. 
I will love him as though he's my own. And I just remember like that was it. Like that was a moment both of us knew for sure, like like we're doing this. Like mm-hmm. so so yeah, we got married and uh moved in together and things have been really great. That's awesome. Uh, since then. I mean it's only been like eight months and it's just amazing what God's done in that time in our lives. And I've helped her walk through some things, um, with like just insecurities and she's helped me get stronger in my faith. Yeah. And, um, pastor will started this church planning process. Um, and he offered it whoever wanted to join to get credentialed and, um, go to conferences and and do a required reading list and like all this different stuff to empower us to go out and plant churches mm-hmm. and, and be leaders in different communities yeah. and raise up other leaders and do the same with them as he has done with us. So we've been going through that process since about October, which we thought we were crazy because we just got married and everybody talks about the first year of marriage and how hard it is adjusting to a very sudden life change. And we were like, well, let's go through a church planning process. And uh, we were in it for about a month or two. And come December, we decided, like, I think God wants us to plant a church. Yeah. And so let's pray about this. And I remember we prayed about it. And we didn't talk to each other for about a week. And then after the week was over, we came to each other with our decisions. And we both said, yes, we want to plant a church. And then we said, okay, so let's make the decision to plant a church. And let's sit on it for a month and see what direction God pulls us in. Mm-hmm. Like, see if see if this yes feels right. Yeah. So we're live our lives like we're planting a church and we decided to plant a church and just see if God has this like truly in store for us. See if just things that happen are just pointed straight towards like, yeah, like this is your, this is your mission in life. This is what you're going to do. Like this is, this is what God has planned for you. And like literally everything that we did was like straight up, like people were speaking like Cortland into our lives and people were like, you guys are going to be a great like power couple, like church planning couple. Like you guys are going to go far and you don't even know it. And like nobody knew our decision, but us. Yeah. Like we told anybody and people were just speaking it into our lives. People (laughs) were seeing it and believing it. And they were just like, God, is going to like use you guys in some community somewhere to like minister to people. They were like, Chris, I could see you going up to somewhere and into like, like a college town that's full of like kids that do drugs and drink and just using your story. And like, like that's Cortland. Yep. And I just remember like, 
this is just a few few months ago you know and i was like this is it god like this is where you're calling me so will ended up like basically being given two church buildings um that had kind of tanked um one of them in Cortland had people in it, but no pastor. Yeah. And the other one had a pastor, but no people. And so we told Will, like, I think God's calling me to Cortland to plan a church. Mm-hmm. And we've gone through a bit of a process and talked about it. And, you know, we sat down and had heart to hearts and I I shared my vision with him for reaching the lost people up in Cortland and carrying uh, the DNA that two rivers has up to New York. And we really wanted to be a satellite of two rivers. Yeah. And, And Will really liked it. And he thinks that's the best idea um, because I know I'm not ready to plant my own church and just go solo. Yeah. Um, being is how I've only been saved for five years, but like, I know God can do a lot, but like me personally, like I'm not up to that point where I'm going to be a solo pastor. Yeah. So, but I do feel like I'm being called to share my story and to shepherd people yeah. um, up there. And it's different. Um, I thought, I don't know what I thought. I thought it was not going to be as complicated as it is. Yeah. Um, but the amount of things that we're running into that need to be fixed and uh, just the fact that we're in a building that's 106 years old. <laughs> uh, I got cable installed up there. Northeast, the, baby. Huh? That's the Northeast, baby. Yeah, I got cable installed up at that building and there was like the guy came and he's like, he's like, there's no existing cable running into this. Because <laughs> that's the devil, bro. You I was like, dude, I would guess cable. not because the building hadn't been updated since probably the 80s. Yeah. Like yep. nobody had done anything with it. They didn't, they don't have a shepherd. Yeah. They don't, there's just, there's a congregation that met here yeah. and are faithful. Definitely. And want to see Cortland reached, but they have nobody telling them how to do it. Yeah. And so we've gone in there, um, over the last few months since we acquired the facility and, um, we've had an interim pastor up there that's been preaching. Um, I've come in and started doing worship Mm -hmm. and they know I'm leading the church now. And, um, we've just been kind of sharing our heart with them and what we want to do and how we want to do it. And it's really hard uh, because the congregation is like less than 15 people all over the age of 60 that um, didn't really understand why we want to do things the way we do them. Yeah. Why we have loud music and why we have chairs instead of pews and why we have all these lights and sounds and, you know, really we're trying to raise up 
the next generation of believers because we're only one generation away from extinction. Yep. If we don't go out and teach the youth of this nation yeah. that Jesus Christ is real and he exists and he loves you, yeah. then, in a, who, then who is? Yep. And, you know, a, a good amount of them have caught on to our vision. Yeah. I feel like they're in it for the long haul. That's great. Um, we're getting ready to make some changes up there. We're getting ready to start construction uh, renovations on the building in June. That's fantastic. Uh, we've got about a little over a month more of doing services there. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I, I've prepared them as much as possible that it's going to be shut down. Yeah. I'm like, guys, you're welcome to come work. Uh, you're welcome to come do whatever you can. You're welcome to come hang out with me. Yeah. Like I will have lunch with you. I'll have coffee with you. Like these people have poured their hearts into this building. Some for 20, some for 30 years. Yep. And so we want them to be able to come back. Yeah. And help us be good stewards of, of what we've been given and help us reach the next generation Yeah, and help, help teach younger people. You know, mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm like, if you can do anything, you could, you could have a group of college students come into your house and you could feed them supper. Yep. And I just, you had, don't I had know a the thought, I had a thought about you um, walking into two rivers for the first time. Right. And Sherry was at the door and she wasn't, she's an older, older woman. And she's, um, I mean, I guess what, a lot of people would be like, oh, she's not like uh, a young hipster rocker. And like all these people think no. that that's what we want in church. But think about it. She was the first one to say hi to you and make you feel welcome and loved. And she was the first step to yeah. this whole journey of your of your life turning around. And if she wasn't there serving, imagine what your life would have been if somebody was there and they didn't greet you right or they were snotty to you or whatever. It is so important to have those people there just to stand at the door and say, hey, welcome, there's coffee over yeah. there, you know? Yeah, so what, if, and, and that's the message I'm trying to get across, and what if you're that smiling person? What yeah. if you're that welcoming person? Yeah. Like, they probably can't do the heavy lifting and help me tear up the carpet, yeah. and maybe some of them could even paint, but, like, there's a place for everybody, and that could be your place. Yep. Like, because what if you're, what if you're that person and we're living in what I, what I would say is a fatherless generation. Yeah. Um, uh, the, the youth of this nation are very, uh, how do I put it? They're, they're kind of shut down. They're, they're very desensitized, um, from most things. Mm -hmm. And what if they come into those church doors and they see grandma mm-hmm. smiling at them and welcoming them into church. And they think, oh, that's cool. That looks just like my grandma. That reminds me of my grandma. And then they walk in and there's like rock and music. And it feels like something that they're more comfortable with. Like yeah. a lot of people go to clubs. A lot of people go to bars. A lot of people, they don't know what a church is supposed to look like. Yeah especially if they've never been into a church. So we have to kind of morph the look, but not the message. Yeah. Yep. 
So we're going to create an atmosphere up there that everybody can feel comfortable and at home and feel like they belong. And then we're going to preach the gospel. Yeah. Um, I got, we got to wrap this up here real quick, but I want to, I want to touch on this one thing. What would you, uh, there's a lot of people on the sidelines and, and, and people that are, um, God's working on in this process. But I think about the Chris that was just starting to join the worship team and the guy that, um, felt a call in his life, but he was entangled in all this stuff. What would you, what would you say to somebody like that? Um, that that is going through that process. What, what would you say to Chris, you now talking to Chris then? I would tell him that, that you can do anything. Um, with Christ in your life, you can do anything that you don't necessarily believe that you can do, but with God beside you, and guiding your steps, um, you can make an impact in this world. You can lead people to Jesus. You can you can become a pastor and feel actual worth and feel like your life matters and feel like you're doing something good and that there's no greater calling than following Jesus. Yeah. And that if I can do it from the situation I came from and the circumstances that I used to live in, then anybody can do it because God will redeem you and God will change your story and God will make your story affect somebody else's story. Yeah, that's that's fantastic, Chris. Will you uh, will you pray for the future church planners out there and um, for the ones that have dreams? They might not even be a church planner, but they have um, some business idea that God has given them, or something like they're supposed to open up a restaurant, or they're start to start some kind of nonprofit ministry. Um, will you just pray for the ones that are out there that that God is calling um, and close us out in prayer? Absolutely. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for, um, thank you for what we're getting to do. Um, for people like Brenton and myself that, that are following your, your calling, that are following your steps. Um, and I thank you for all of the people that are planting churches now. And I thank you for all of the people that, have something stirring up inside their hearts um, that maybe they don't even know what it is, but you have a greater calling for them. You have a purpose for every one of us, Lord. And whether it's nonprofit business, just to help people that are planting churches, um, it could be something all the way down to uh, like pray.com, like an app, like something that just, helps you pray for people. Um, it could be a restaurant, um, that serves meals on a certain day of the week, uh, for nothing, just to be a beacon of light in the community. It could be somebody who's just dreaming about being a worship leader, Lord, 
somebody that can lead people in worship and lead people closer to you. Um, it could be missionaries going across seas, going down into South America, wherever you take them to spread the word of God to people who have never heard it before. People that don't even know who God is, who Jesus is. Um, I just pray that you will continue to work in the hearts and the minds of people and you will continue to guide them in the right direction. And you will continue to uh, just put your anointing on, on these people's lives and, and continue building us and strengthening us and continue guiding us so that we can do as you have commanded us to do. We thank you, Father. We love you. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, Chris. Yo, it was it was a pleasure having you on and sharing your story. And uh yeah, dude. thank you for what you're doing. And uh just dude, just keep plowing, man. Keep going. Yeah, man. Pushing every, you too, bro. The way. I love you. Yeah, I love you too, man. And uh just man, it's so good to hear. And it's just a good reminder of of why why I do what I do. And um, yeah. why we push. Don't stop that. plugging into people, dude, because <laughs> I'm one of them. Yeah. Whew. Guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Planet Podcast. If you like what you heard and you want to hear more of it, like, share, and subscribe. I'm going to say it again to you. Like, share, and subscribe. We can't do this without you, and we need you to spread this around. And there's people that need to hear this content that have dreams in their heart that they want to go big with. So let's make that happen today. Like, share share and subscribe. Love you guys. God bless.